1: Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thanks so much for listening on this Thursday morning. Coming up on today's show, we'll speak with Molly Van Rees about roller derby in Columbus and across the state of Mississippi. Also, the Great Mississippi River Balloon Race takes place in Natchez next month. We'll speak with Bill Cunningham, who's the balloon meister for that race. And in just a couple of minutes, we'll have Greg Eluteris, the athletic director for the City of Biloxi Parks and Recreation Department, on the show to talk with us about, uh, about kid football, peewee football. On uh, the Mississippi Gulf Coast there in Biloxi. That'll be in just a couple minutes. Uh, There's uh, a bunch of stuff going on around the state of Mississippi this week. Mississippi State had a big football win last week. Everybody is very excited. And uh, Ole Miss and Southern Miss are off. And so a lot of the uh, focus this week is on uh, Mississippi State. They are going to Georgia. It is a rare week where uh, either of the three uh, football bowl subdivision teams in uh, college football in Mississippi are not at home, nobody's playing a big home game on campus this week. Uh, maybe we could do better planning with that. I know they're not all worried about each other or how that affects fans, but, man, no big college football games at the FBS level anyway uh, to see in Mississippi this week. Jackson State gets their first home game. They're playing Arkansas Pine Bluff. JSU much improved. That should be uh, a fun game for them and their fans and a, and a good uh, a long time coming, a home game for them. All right. So, without any further delay, we'll go to the phones now. Welcome in our first guest, uh, Greg Ellutaris, Athletic Director for the City of Biloxi Parks and Recreation. Talk about some uh, Pee Wee football, Greg. Thank you for joining us this morning. How are you?
2: Sure, Jay. Good morning. How are you? I'm
1: good doing. Time. I'm doing great. First off, what kind of job is that? The the Athletic Director for the City of Biloxi Parks and Recreation. Biloxi's a big town. There's a lot of stuff going on there. That's got to be, there's a lot that that's got to cover, right?
2: It is. It's uh, been doing it for 19 years now. Um, anything uh, youth-oriented uh, sports programs, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, softball, you name it, uh, we we do everything from order uniforms to um, scheduling games, scheduling umpires, getting the fields ready, the whole gambit. We, uh, we, we're we very proud of our uh, athletic programs here in Biloxi.
1: I've heard, I've seen a handful of different reports this year that Mississippi is coming into a shortage of, of high school referees or high school officials. Is that something that you have uh, an issue dealing with or, or is that not a problem?
2: Not a problem here. We're very fortunate we've had some of the guys that, um, have been doing it for for years and years and years, and they're doing a good job of bringing in newer guys to work in the Wee program so uh we're fortunate that we uh we've got a good group and a good number of officials
1: before we move on to the football. let me ask you about um you know there's a lot of uh new sports and being over parks and recreation uh i mean there's a a bunch of different stuff you could do with your parks and different things like that. What kind of, uh, I guess, newer sports or newer trendy type of sports or activities have uh, over these 19 years? You've had to kind of look into and embrace and bring into the city.
2: Yeah, well, we've uh, a big thing right now going on is is pickleball. Pickleball is very, very big amongst the senior citizens uh, of Biloxi, and and they are really uh, active in and a lot of participants. uh, They go everywhere. From we have a couple outdoor courts. Uh, we have one of our community centers they use. They've used local community colleges. Um, that's something new uh, disc golf at Hilla Park. We have a big hill uh, park in Bulocca called Hilla Park. Um, that disc golf is really, really taken off and that's some of the newer things. Of course you have your traditional sports as well, but those two are, are, are really uh, popular right now and they're continuing to grow every day.
1: Absolutely. Speaking with uh, Greg LU athletic director for the City of Biloxi Parks and Recreation Department. How long have you had the uh, the, the football program for elementary-age kids?
2: Well, doing a little research, uh, I'm thinking it's over 60 years. Wow. Yeah, my father played when he was younger, and he's 67. So it's going on right at a little more than 60 years of, 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 of Wee football in Biloxi.
1: That's awesome. So how does that feel, knowing that, you know, you're in charge of and kind of oversee a program that uh, your dad once played in a long, long time ago?
2: Yes, yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, they had some pictures I've seen, and uh, he was the tallest one on the team. <laughs> I think they were probably 12 year, 11 or 12-year-old, um, and they were from the east side of town, so they were the East End Eagles. Oh wow! Uh, what they were called, and it's kind of full circle. You know, it's pretty neat to see that, and, and, it's a nice, nice, and the equipment and everything has come a long ways from back then too. So, and the playing fields and, and and stuff. So, uh, it's a neat thing.
1: You talked about the equipment. Uh, I guess one of the biggest things in football now is is the safety issue. Um, how how much? And I know this is this is not necessarily you know under the direction of the parks and rec but i mean how how far do the coaches and the the organizations that uh, i guess sanction uh, football at that age how how far have they come to to try to address or fix or kind of redirect how football was taught for so long
2: yeah a lot of the a lot of the techniques have changed the the tackling drills that was in, in place 30, 40 years ago has changed. Um, the equipment, the helmets, of course, every year they're coming out with different, um, quote unquote, concussion, uh, less concussion proof, if you will. Helmets are out there. Um, the equipment and the shoulder pads and those things, like I said, they, they've made some strides over the years. And um, it, it's definitely come a ways, you know, in the last 19 years from where we started to where we are now.
1: Yeah. How many teams do you have
2: this year? We have uh, sixteen total teams. Wow! And that ages five through twelve, and um, we've had a, we've had we've had that same number probably the last couple of years. Uh, you know, some age groups are higher than this year than next year or last year, and then vice versa. But uh, for the most part, the same amount of kids. Which now those numbers have drastically uh, decreased since Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, um, and that could be for a variety of reasons, but most of the people that are that are gone were gone from the summer back, um, and, and the numbers of football have not come back. So that's kind of nationwide uh, numbers are, are, are dropping uh, significantly.
1: Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um, you know, I do a lot of high school football stuff on Fridays, and it seems like the, the, the coast, at least the, in the very top level, the 6A schools, for some reason, and it's, I mean, it's, you, you want to stop using uh you know, Katrina as an excuse or whatever, but it's they've never really fully bounced back and I I've always wondered why that is. Somebody told me participation is a big deal. Um, you know, that maybe basketball is a bigger deal and football is just not the emphasis, but that's that's interesting that you say that. Uh so tell us a little bit about um you know, how do you see the future of football for for these aged kids?
2: Uh you know the nationwide, like I said, the numbers are down well, our local communities—the numbers are really down.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we played in, in for example, D'Iberville, which is they also a six A high school. They have one 11 program and one nine and ten program, which in the past they've always had two to three to four. Yeah. So, so those numbers are going down. I see a trend in flag football. Um, last year, I had the NFL uh, representative from the Saints call me, wanting to have Volusia go all flag. And the incentives where were we're gonna get all our uniforms, we're gonna to get to go play at the St. uh practice facility in New Orleans, the whole gambit is just you know, so the big push for twelve and under is going to be flagged and it is flagged. Um and and a lot of people are taking advantage of that. I know Gulfport does not offer uh tackle for the city of Gulfport for for other than eleven and twelve year olds, so they're they're getting away from some of that. So that is where the trend is heading. Um, and, you know, Drew Brees himself is starting a new uh, football league called the Drew Brees League, kind of like the Kyle Ripken brand yeah. of baseball. So, um, you know, I've gotten some literature and, and, and some information sent over from those guys as well. So they're definitely flag football is out there. I'm not sure if it's good for Biloxi yet. I <laughs> see a lot more statistics showing that there's injuries or, 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 or such that, you know we need to look at that a lot more but um, that's definitely the trend
1: how much do you get and i don't know this is it's it's kind of funny but i mean nowadays we see where there are kids that are like 6th or 7th graders or even younger that are getting interests from some colleges that's mind blowing to me i don't know how you could project how some kid that's barely hit puberty is going to be when he's you know 17 18 years old but uh how how much you know the the good players in their in your league how how much are they uh i guess fawned after by uh, adults and coaches and things like that
2: well that happens um, travel travel football i mean I'm sure you heard of travel softball travel baseball travel yeah. soccer well now travel football is out there really and they do come in and scoop up some of the better players um at the younger age groups but you know, you know, I tell somebody, I'll tell them all the time, there's no one winning scholarships out here at Pee Wee Football. Right. Or Pee Wee okay. or Little League Baseball or, or or softball. They're just not, they're not happening Now, they're getting the fundamentals down, yes. They're getting, they're good players, yes. But I haven't seen, I've had three three kids that I remember that have went off and really done well. Um, and one is in the NBA, currently in the NBA right now, um, Isaiah Cannon from Elections. Yeah. You know, that's 19 years, and that's one that has made it to the big time. So, yeah, there's a few college, a few made it to to, to, to minor league baseball, but you know it's, it's a tough it's a tough road to hoe. You know, when you're 12, 13 to say that you know you're going to be the next, you know, Drew Brees.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I I still I don't know how they unless maybe they have a lot of genes um, that they're following behind. I I really don't know how you could project anything like that. But how many how many facilities or you know parks and and gymnasiums or whatever it is. Do uh, do you have in your department that you oversee?
2: Yeah, we have these. the, the our main uh, complex is our AJ Holloway Sports Complex. We have uh, four softball three hundred foot softball fields, a major league sized baseball field. Uh, we have five two hundred foot baseball fields. We have three international sized soccer fields. We have I think eight tennis courts. Um, That's at the AJ Holloway Sports Complex. That's our pride and joy. We also have throughout the city seven or eight different parks um, that we have baseball, softball fields, uh, soccer complex. We have in Beloit as well. Um, tennis courts throughout the, throughout the city. And we also have a dog a dog park.
1: Oh, very with, cool
2: with with um, the dog owners.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's something uh, Central Mississippi could have a few more of. Uh, I didn't say that out loud, did I? All right, well, anyway. Yeah.
2: We, also have a, we also have a top-notch uh, swimming facility at the nat- Bluxley Natatorium. Very, very popular and very, uh, very, util- very much utilized.
1: Oh, okay. Well, cool. Uh, well, Greg, thank you so much for your time this morning, and uh, I hope things uh, uh, continue to move in the right direction for the youth football program there. And uh, congratulations on your 19 years there in charge of uh, – uh, the athletics for the uh, Parks and Recreation Department in Biloxi.
2: Okay, Jeff, appreciate you. you have a good day.
1: Absolutely, you too. Greg, L.U. Uh-huh. Terrace, Athletic Director, City of Biloxi Parks and Recreation. All right, we'll take a break now, and when we come back, we'll speak with Bill Cunningham. He's the Balloon master for the Great Mississippi River Balloon Race. That's coming up after this break. This is a PBC Season Pass on Think Radio. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. we love you to subscribe to our podcast when you go to mpbonline.org forward slash season pass. There's a purple button that says subscribe. If you click that, it'll get you started to having season pass at your fingertips whenever you'd like. If you like that kind of thing. If not, we're cool. You can listen to it on demand at the website also. Uh, I'd like to welcome in now Bill Cunningham, Balloon Meister for the Great Mississippi River Balloon Race to the show. Bill, thanks for coming on. How are you?
3: Hey, thank you, Jay. Pleasure to be, to be here.
1: Absolutely. What are the duties of a balloon meister?
3: Well, the, the balloon meister is in charge of making sure we have uh, safe conditions to fly in, making sure that, uh, uh, you know, all the balloons are there and have all their uh, paperwork and stuff that they're legal to fly. We don't really have a problem with that, but mostly it's... Uh, in charge of the weather and whether or not we can fly and fly safely. And then I get to, as Balloon Meister, I get to pick the individual tests that we fly on that uh, particular competition. So.
1: Oh, wow. So uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, what are, what are your options? What's laid out before you?
3: Well, uh, a balloon race is really a misnomer. It's not actually a race. It's an accuracy
1: competition.
3: The balloons, uh, think of it as putting an X on the ground and Mm -hmm. uh, drawing a big circle, maybe a mile or whatever the distance is that particular day. But uh, uh, all the balloons have to go outside of that one-mile radius and find a place to take off that they can work their way back to the uh, target. And we each have a small baggie. It's about a four-ounce baggie. of actually made out of balloon fabric. Uh, small baggy. It has a six-inch or uh, six-foot by four-inch tail on it. Uh, the balloonists write their name and uh, uh, number on the thing, and whoever flies back and drops that baggy closest to the center of the X wins.
1: Wow! So, how, so, typically, how close does the winner get?
3: Well, it's a condition. Mother nature, being what it is, if conditions are stay pretty stable and we have good. Uh, what we call uh, steerable winds, uh, you're able to fly back, and we'll probably have half the balloons, uh, you know, in the in the X, which is 25 uh, feet on each side. It's a 50-foot X, 25-foot legs on it, but uh, we can easily have half or more of the balloons uh, there at the target within the confines of that X. Uh, if the conditions are not right if their mother nature changes his mind while we're flying uh sometimes sometimes a, a quarter of a mile is a good score it just really really depends but typically we're going to fly in good conditions in the morning and it, the the balloons will you know be pretty close to the target they'll be close enough so the we'll be flying over the crowd at least over the site yeah. and we'll have some pretty good scores
1: Man, that's 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 fascinating so how how far up to give I guess folks a little bit better of an idea about how difficult what you're talking about is you said it's a four ounce bag basically
3: uh it's just a little four ounce bag with a tail on it, and basically the tail is there to slow it down when you throw it out of uh uh throw it out of the basket ideally you'd like to be just you know a few feet off the ground so you could really drop it on the target yeah preferably the center of the target. But sometimes you have to fly over at 50 feet, 100 feet, sometimes even 500 feet and throw the baggie. So the tail is uh, on there to help slow it down and identify when it hits the ground where the balloon is so we don't, so we don't lose it. But uh, uh, conditions vary with each flight. Uh, sometimes I've been in uh, balloon races. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Baton Rouge one time, we had the nationals there. And one morning, uh, the conditions were so good that uh, <laughs> 65 of the 100 balloons uh, were within five feet of the center of the air.
1: Oh, my goodness.
3: And I've flown other times where, uh, you know, maybe none, maybe maybe just a handful mm-hmm. are, are, you know, Within the center of the X. Uh, some so, of them. Sometimes we don't even make them. Mother nature will change. Sometimes we don't even make the scoring area.
1: <laughs> so, so what do you prefer? Uh, is it is it just a, is it a personal preference? Because I know, like you know, golf. You know, sometimes some of the courses are, are much easier, and the winner is you know twenty under par, or something like that. And then they have these yeah, majors right. sometimes yeah. where it's hard for any of those guys to break par. And I'm watching it. and I'm going, look, if I want to see bad golf, I can just go play. You know, I don't have to watch this on TV. So, what do you prefer? You prefer it to be more difficult, or do you like it when it's it's uh, you know everybody basically a crack shot?
3: Well, uh, would really prefer really good, steerable conditions mm-hmm. where the pilots can maneuver. It's much more fun for especially for the crowd if all the balloons are flying over the X and dropping on the target. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, if conditions are good, everybody's going to be closer. If conditions are a little tougher, and uh, you know, uh, you know, you won't have as many as close, but it's much better for the crowd, and it's more fun for the balloons if everybody's on the target.
1: How many people are on a on a crew, or or is it a crew?
3: Most balloons, uh, I generally I have a pretty small balloon, so mm-hmm. uh, my wife and one other person can handle it. Most most of the time, you're going to have three people on your crew because you have to have somebody drive the vehicle to get you back yeah uh we don't it's not like an airport we don't typically (laughs) come back to where we took off so your crew is following you you have a a driver typically typically when i go out i'm going to have one person one of my crew will typically fly with me uh and i have my wife or or who's ever driving the vehicle and one other person with them sometimes you go out and uh, in race like matches sometimes you've got a Whole family of people i've had a uh, had my band full of seven or eight people on my crew before following me so it but uh you really only need maybe uh, the pilot and three other people
1: the great Mississippi River balloon race is coming up it's october twentieth through the 20, uh twenty second uh, what what races will be going on there and how is that event typically
3: well uh at uh at, at this race we fly. Typically, only fly a competition flight in the morning. The, the afternoons are, uh, there's not as steerable winds and uh, light and variable conditions, and we're right there on the Mississippi River, and the river is a factor in all of our flights. It's, uh, the Mississippi River at Natchez is very intimidating yeah. for a balloon pilot flying over it, so you try not to get too, <laughs> too low and too close to it. Uh, and because of Natchez, we really need to be flying across the river where there are better landing places. But there are landing places in town, but typically we just fly, uh, typically fly in that morning, and we'll have a target usually behind the mall there in Natchez. And if the conditions are right, we'll have a another target set out somewhere in the city or surrounding area. Uh, depending on the wind direction, and depending on whether we can go in that direction safely. So uh, it, it just varies. It's really hard to say, it, but it varies.
1: Intimidating, but I bet it's a beautiful view, breathtaking.
3: It, it is awesome. <laughs> it's it's really fun, especially uh, you get up there. And I, I remember one year my son-in-law went with me, and and had had a panoramic panoramic camera. Oh wow! Took a picture there. It was it was really it was really pretty cool.
1: All right, so uh, is GPS used at all, or is that is that cheating? Is, that, is it a performance-enhancing technology, or is that allowed?
3: Uh, no, we use them now. Uh, when I started flying 39 years ago, up until about the last 15 years or so, 15, 20 years, uh, we flew by a map, and, and if you can imagine a, a, a geologic map, uh, it's, 36 inches by 42 inches, <laughs> some ridiculous number, and you have to fold it depending on which way the the wind direction is that day. So, because you can't really hold the thing open yeah. in the balloon, so you fold it up into more of a, uh, <clears throat> you know, maybe an 18 inch square or something like that, something you can manage and look at in the balloon, but you have to fold it depending on which way the winds blowing that day. But the GPS came in in the 90s and we started using those things, and it's uh, uh, everybody uses them now. As a matter of fact, uh, that they, they've gotten so good that we can even we don't even have to have a target or a goal on the ground. We can literally do it. To, it define a box in the air based on altitude,
1: yeah.
3: uh, and put a box in the air that we have to fly through, or a point in the air that we have to cross at the corner or something like that so gps has made it uh, not as good for us older guys that are <laughs> technology challenged but the young guys just kill it they love it
1: right but if you handed those younger guys a map they'd be lost right
3: they are totally lost as a matter of fact that happened <laughs> last year at the nationals where guys had to uh, actually read the map and and Pick their own target and write the coordinates in, and and more than half of them got the got it wrong because they couldn't really read the map. Oh wow, so it's, it's, it's funny. The old guys can do it, but the, the the younger guys they are so married to the technology.
1: Right. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, that's awesome. The Missis the Great Mississippi River Balloon Race is coming up in Natchez October twentieth through the twenty second. And uh, Bill Cunningham is the Balloon Meister for that race, and uh, he's joined us on the program this morning. Bill, thank you so much for your time.
3: Thank you so much, and I, I hope your listeners will make their way down to Natchez. It's really a beautiful place that weekend.
1: Absolutely. Any excuse to get down to Natchez, a beautiful place, and then uh, the scene right by the river right there, that's going to be a lot of fun. October 20th uh, yeah. through the 22nd
3: right it's, it's actually better at fat mama's with a margarita
1: <laughs> that's right that's right bill thanks again for your time great mississippi river balloon race in natchez october 20th through the 22nd when we come back we'll talk with molly van Rees from the mississippi brawl stars about roller derby in columbus and across the state of mississippi with liz gill i'm jay white this is mpb season pass on think radio we'll be right back
4: Welcome to MPB Season Pass. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm speaking with Molly Van Rees, a member of the Mississippi Brawl Stars from Columbus. Welcome to our show, Molly. Hi, thanks for having me. Roller derby is your sport. How did you get involved in roller derby? I was actually living in England, and there was a team there on the base
5: that we were stationed at. And so I started playing with them and, and practicing and learning the game with them. And then I ended up getting pregnant and ended up having to quit. You know, you can't really play when you're pregnant. <laughs> and then we moved here to Mississippi and my husband stationed at the Air Force Base. And then I luckily found this team and started with them, not last name, but the name before. So I've been with them for about a year and a half.
4: Had you been a roller skating gal when you grew up or did you learn while you were in England?
5: Um, well, I mean, I always went to the, the skating rink, you know, and just rolled around a little bit. But I was never competitive or anything like that, like there's jam skating and aerobic skating and stuff. I never did any of that. I just did regular old rolling around the rink with my friends on a Friday night. So I learned from basically nothing. So I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to do any of that. And you start down at the basics, and they teach you everything from the floor up.
4: Who are some of your other teammates, or what are their stories on why they joined the team?
5: Well, the team here was founded, this is our seventh season. So they actually started it, and we have one of the girls who started the team still on the team. And everyone else is kind of filtered out, you know, life gets crazy and hectic. But we have people who are nurses and students and graphic designers and vet techs and, like, all kinds of walks of life on the team. It's really a great outlet. So I think a lot of people are looking for a stress outlet, and a lot of people don't have, like, a sports background (laughs) and don't really, you know, understand the whole team sports thing. It's really great for people who didn't grow up playing sports because it's less pressure, and, you know, you don't just go right in. Like, you learn. You have to start at the bottom, and you slowly work up. So it's not like, hey, here's a basketball. Go throw a three-pointer. So it's really nice for people who are stressed out and need to get out aggression, and for people who want to do something, especially as an adult, when you can't, you know, it's harder to make friends and to find your niche, and so it's really nice to be able to just come from the bottom and work with everybody, and it's a very inclusive sport.
4: With other sports, our listeners may be familiar with the rules to play a game, but I'm not so sure about roller derby. I certainly don't know. How do you win? Uh, How do you score points in roller derby?
5: All right, so there's two groups of five from the opposing team. So four of those girls out of that group of five, so ten total, but out of that group of five, four of those girls are called blockers, and they are trying to hold back the person that's called the jammer, and that's the person with the star on their helmet. The blockers are trying to hold back the opposing jammer. Once that jammer gets through, that's when she starts making points. So every person that she passes is a point. We go in two-minute intervals, which are called a jam, and the jammer has to break through the pack, which is the eight blockers that are on the track, and pass through them to get points. So this is all happening while your four blockers on your team are trying to work offense and defense, and their four blockers are trying to work offense and defense, and you're getting smashed around, knocked down, back up, you know. So it takes a lot of skill and a lot of strategy. We're two 30-minute halves. So we have a halftime in the middle, and we play for a total of an hour. And you just keep going and going and hoping you make the most points. So it's a high-scoring game, so each pass through the pack is five points if you make it all the way. You can call up the jam before you get all the way through, but because every time you go all the way through, it ends up being high scoring. Usually the scores are you know around 150, 200 points per game.
4: What do the venues look like? When you're competing in a tournament, a game, a match, what do you call that?
5: The games are called bouts. Yes, it's a bout. And um, every team is completely different. So most teams are actually skater ran, they're 501c3 charities. So we find places that will allow us to use their space. And every team that we play with is a completely different situation. There's people who play in really nice arenas. There's people who play in skating rinks. And there's people like us that just find concrete floor that we can put tape on and, you know, lay down a track. So it just depends on where you're at, what area you have, the buildings around. So it's just completely dependent upon your area and who's willing to let you. Because, unfortunately, roller derby seems to have, like, a rough-and-tumble ideology, you know, which it's not at all. It's a legitimate sport and we're very hardworking athletes and that's what we want to do is we want to play a game and we want to do a great job and advance with our team.
4: You have a bout coming up in Columbus this week, is that right?
5: Yeah, our next home bout is on September 23rd at the Columbus Fairgrounds. And that starts at 6.30 is when the first whistle is, but the doors are going to open at 6 o'clock. We have to do all of our own fundraising, so there will be a silent auction, a bake sale, and a 50-50 raffle. We're playing the girls from Monroe, Louisiana, the Rogue City Rollers.
4: Are the Mississippi Brawl Stars in a league? Do you play just Mississippi teams or in the southeast? Who are some of your competitors?
5: It's kind of who we end up playing is Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. There's teams in Montgomery, Mobile, Birmingham, and then over in Louisiana, there's Monroe and Lafayette. There's a big team in New Orleans, and then we have the Capital City Roller Girls in. So I know there's one down on the coast. We are all completely fear ran. So when we don't have enough people, a lot of the times teams will like mesh together to be able to create enough people to fill a roster because the roster is 14 skaters we end up a lot of times seeing our teams that we have played just standing, which is really sad but unfortunately it happened
4: molly tell us about safety in roller derby
5: well we have to wear full body gear so we have knee pads elbow pads wrist guards the helmet all of that We have to wear a mouth guard, and then we have to have quad skates, so the skates are four wheels, not a roller We, When you learn how to play, you learn from the safety standards, you learn how to fall and how to do it properly so that you protect your joints and stuff better. And then we have refs who make sure that when we hit and how we hit is done correctly and in the best way to not actually
4: injure people. Have you had any injuries yourself? I haven't had any major injuries, but I've definitely had huge bruises and sore body parts.
5: I did take a knee right into the small of my back one time, and my back hurt for weeks. So I'm, I've been lucky. We've had girls that have broken you know, their tibia and fibia, and broken wrists and black eyes. So so far, so good. So hopefully I didn't just jinx myself.
4: I guess some sports are just so fun that you put up with the injuries. We interviewed someone on a rugby team, and he talked about they had injuries, but they still love to play. Uh, Speaking of men playing rugby, how did roller derby become such a women's sport?
5: Um, There's actually a lot of male teams, and they have their own association. But when roller derby started, it was kind of used as like a halftime joke game and they literally would put women on skates and have them fight each other and kind of pretended it was a sport. So it's gone a long way from where it started and it, its roots are, and it has developed into a legitimate sport with legitimate rules. So it kind of happened as just a joke and watching women hit each other. So the test was mostly women, and now we just actually play legitimately.
4: Molly, this does sound like fun, and I'm sure there are people listening who would like a stress-relieving sport to participate in. How could someone join the Mississippi Brawl Stars in the Columbus area?
5: Well, we are always recruiting. We're always looking for new skaters, and not only skaters, but volunteers and people who want to learn how to be rest. We practice in Columbus every Tuesday and Thursday, and we're always recruiting. We're always letting in new people. We, there's no time limit or certain times when new people can come to practice. Not only that, but we have what's called our funk Trunk. And you can come and you can borrow gear so you don't have to pay right away. You know, you don't have to buy the actual gear to start up the game and see if you actually like it. So we're always recruiting and we're always hoping to see new faces. And anybody can do it. It's a sport for any body shape, any athletic ability. Um, We are all a huge mess and mix of people and human bodies. And we will take anyone and we love new people to come and join us.
4: Remind us, Molly, when is the roller derby season?
5: It goes from March to November, but we practice year-round. So our games are about our March through November, but we practice year-round. There is no off season for roller derby.
4: Molly Van Reese from the Mississippi Brawl Stars roller derby team in Columbus, thanks for being on MPB's Season Pass.
5: No problem. Thank you.
4: We're about to take our last break of the show. When we come back, we'll talk about what's going on in sports this weekend. You're listening to MPB's Season Pass on MPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thanks for listening this Thursday morning. All right, Liz, so uh, no Southern Miss football this weekend, no Ole Miss football this weekend, um, but JSU, Alcorn and Valley are all hosting games. Delta State goes out of town. Uh, so it's the three SWAC schools who are uh, on display in the state. Um, Valley hosts Grambling. That's a 6 p.m. start. JSU hosts Arkansas Pine Bluff. That is also a 6 p.m. start. Allcorn hosts Southern. Also a 6 p.m. start. Awesome. Again, great. Awesome. I just love that all three of those start at the same time. That's just great for fans. Awesomeness. Uh, anyway, yeah. So those uh, Delta State goes to Georgia to take on Shorter University. No word on whether or not that game starts at six. But um, so um, very interesting stuff there. Jackson State, um, and I may have mentioned this during the show last week, but uh, um, their fans have been kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, they're longing to get back to the glory days. And uh, it seems like they're already running short on patience uh, with their coach. And I understand but um, the, the what they've pulled off so far this season, they played TCU. There's no expectation there, so you don't just throw that game out. And then uh, they almost won uh, against Tennessee State. They came up a little bit short, and they fought Grambling last week close for about two-and-a-half, three-quarters. Grambling is probably the team that's expected to be the champion of the league, so, I mean, while the expectation is to be able to compete for the championship in the league, at least that's what the expectation was when you fired the coach that you had previously. So, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, just just give it a little time. It'll get there eventually. And maybe next time when you have a coach that puts you in the championship game for the conference two, two years in a row, don't fire him.
4: I have such a different um, football mentality. I grew up in Arkansas, went to Russellville High School, and uh, our chant was 2 4 6 8 score before we graduate. Our senior year, (laughs) we had a tie, and everything else was a loss. Um, But that one tie. When I went to the University of Texas, it was uh, uh, the end of the Fred Akers era, and you know, I think we beat SMU that year. And well, I know that a lot was of about, remember
1: Fred a- Akers.
4: That was about it. So when I think of football, I cheer for the band. I'm there for the cheerleaders and the <laughs> drill team. And for me, the football is just kind of an incidental thing. It's like going to a fight and a hockey game breaks out. Uh, I go, go to a stadium and it just happens to be football. So <laughs> I think the JSU fans maybe just need to focus on tailgating. And uh, they wh- can
1: do that. Now. What are they?
4: The dancing dolls? What is there? The J sets. The J sets. That's, that's right.
1: right. That's right. The dancing J sets and the sonic boom of the South.
4: Excellent. So there's plenty of reasons to, to cheer on the team and be a part of your your alumni, your crowd, your your students. Uh, it can still be a fantastic uh, afternoon of celebration and camaraderie. Uh, the, the football team just might not do as expected, or it would do as well, expected. Well, this week
1: they have Arkansas Pine Bluff. That should be a win, and so I mean, there aren't a lot of games this year where I'd expect them to put on a show, but this is one of them, and so I don't know. You know, when when Ole Miss or State or Southern Miss play a team that they're really going to destroy, a lot of times the crowd is down for those games, and I've, I've never understood that logic. If there's a game where you know your team is going to, I it's going to be showtime for your team and they paid for a team to come in that they're going to, you know, beat to sleep, That's the game you want to go see, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't want to go see him struggle with all of the, you know, cornerstone, the great cornerstone programs of college football. Uh, I mean, yes, you want to be there for those moments also in case you win. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I want to see my team score 60 points against somebody and, and, you know, just beat them to death. Uh, it doesn't happen a whole lot. So anyway.
4: Watch the cheerleaders have to do all the back flips or push-ups or <laughs> right. whatever it is when they score a lot.
1: That's right. All right. So sometimes when we have a little extra time here at the end, I dig into uh, my com account, and I look back at something that happened this week that was pretty historic, or maybe not even things that were historic, but it's just it's fun to look back at the sports pages from um, the state here. Uh, in the past and to see how much how many things that may have not seemed like a big deal back then ultimately turned out to be a big deal or maybe it wasn't a big story and it's never been a big story but it's been something that continues to resonate or something like that Um, so I'm looking at today is September 21st I'm looking at 25 years ago the newspaper the sports page in the clarion ledger September 21st 1992 first off my brain's having a hard time rationalizing that 1992 was 25 years ago. And then, uh, so, number two, smack in the middle of the sports section is a paid advertisement from some sort of uh, action group that was arguing against the open container law. Zoinks. Well, anyway, it was a long time ago. See, what had happened was. But no, what what we want to focus on is... 25 years ago, today, it was the day after Brett Favre played his first game as a Green Bay Packer. And going into the game, so 25 years ago yesterday, Brett Favre was not the starting quarterback for the Packers. It was a guy named Don Mikowski, who Ezra Wall is a big fan of because he's from Wisconsin and he was a kid back then. He's in the middle of loving the Packers. But anyway, Don Mikowski, the Magic Man, they called him, actually put the the Packers in the playoffs, I want to say it was 91, where the Week 16 went over the Saints, which was a heartbreaker. Uh, The Magic Man was a pretty good quarterback, but he got hurt in the first quarter of this game. And they turned uh, one of the brand new coach, um, Mike Holmgren, turned to his backup quarterback, Brett Favre, who they just traded to get from the Atlanta Falcons, and... Favre came in, and he did not relinquish the job as starting quarterback until he retired. He came in in that game and threw a 35-yard touchdown pass to Kittrick Taylor with, with 13 seconds left that capped a 92-yard drive and a comeback 24-23 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals.
4: And that's why there are so many Packers fans in Mississippi.
1: Absolutely. Here's a quick uh, bit of the story from the Associated Press that day. Brett Favre shut his eyes when he let it go. He couldn't bear to watch what would be the biggest pass of his short NFL career. Quote, I was scared. I had thrown it halfway up in the seats, said the Green Bay Packers' second-year backup quarterback out of southern Mississippi. I closed my eyes and listened for the cheers, and when I heard them, I knew we either scored or we were close. Kittrick Taylor made sure of the score. He grabbed Farb's 35-yard pass with 13 seconds left, capping a 92-yard drive in five plays and giving the Packers a 24-23 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals. After I caught it, I didn't hear anything. It was a natural high, said Taylor, of his first NFL touchdown, which wrapped up Green Bay's 21-point final corner to overcome a 17-3 deficit. By the way, side note here, Pascagoula native Terrell Buckley played his first NFL game for the Packers also that game. Uh, He had returned just nine days previously. I believe he was a rookie that was holding out. He returned a 58-yard punt in the fourth quarter, part of their 17-yard comeback. So how about that? A couple of Mississippi guys doing it for the Packers 25 years ago yesterday. But the story, of course, was in the paper 25 years ago today. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. We'll be back next Thursday at 10 for MPB Season Pass on Think Radio.